So it's so welcome. It's so lucky to have the new, some new faces here. Bonnie, we know for like forever. Um, so it's wonderful to have you guys with us. They've just moved to to Kleinmont, so uh, they're checking us out. So please be on your best behavior tonight. All right, we'd like them to come back. All right. So um, so tonight, who of you guys can remember what I preached on last week? Ah, Tareen wasn't here. Who can remember what I spoke on? Ah, boundaries was partially there, yes? Ah, Anthony got discipleship down. So I want you guys to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to dive into our first one tonight that I mentioned last week. Okay. So 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law has powerless to do in what it has was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires." The mind of sinful men is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if, you, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. It's quite a cool scripture, right? So tonight I'm going to speak on what is justification and what is sanctification. So I asked a couple of guys last night, so I said from now on we're going to ask a lot of questions. If I pointed you and I say, you, just run away, okay? Just No, I'm just joking. All right? So what is justification and what is sanctification? So let's, let's get into that. So justification is the understanding that Jesus paid the price for the forgiveness of our sins. That's justification. So what does it mean to be justified? It's a one-time event occurring when we receive salvation and we enter into a relationship with God. And John 14 verse 6 says, Jesus states that He is the only door to the Father. There's no other way to salvation but only through Jesus. There's no side door, no window, no back gate. You cannot just slip in. So justification is 
at that moment is when Jesus comes and he actually takes away your sin and cleans you up. Did you guys get that picture? Can you bring it up for me? That picture. The guy on the right is what the hobo looked like. On the left, well, your right, my left, is what he looked like after he was fixed and cleaned up. Had a bath, got his hair cut, got a little bit of cologne going so he smelled nice. But it's still the same hobo. Now you can see the picture clearly, right? It's still the same guy. The characteristics are still the same. He is who he is, but the outside appearance has changed. And so that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He took all of our sin, all of our chachanas, all of the stuff that makes us who we are, he took it on himself so that we can be called the sons and the daughters of God. That is justification standing in the gap for us. It is the most powerful moment in a Christian's life. It is the moment that everything changes. Our filthy rags are taken off and they're replaced with brand new clothes. And justification means that we cannot earn it. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how much you actually go and actually work at a job trying to earn as much money as you can. You cannot earn that right to salvation. It is a free gift that is given to you, and it's only through Jesus. Isaiah says that in Isaiah 64, 6, it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God, but because of the righteousness of Jesus, God declares us righteous and justified. So what does that mean? It means that when the devil comes and stands before God and says, Hey, God, have you checked out Pauline this week? Jesus is like, yeah. And God's like, yeah, I definitely did. And he's like, you know what Pauline did? She was nasty to Linda this week. Really nasty. Like she punched her and kicked her and did all those kind of things. And you know what happens is, in that moment, Jesus says, whoa, 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 hold the bus. I paid the price. And you know what? Linda, uh, actually, Pauline went and repented, and she actually went to Linda and apologized. And so, out of doing that, she's forgiven, and it's sorted and done with, because I paid that price. That's justification through the power of Jesus Christ. So justification simply means to be made just, right, or righteous. And that's not our natural state. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Now there's three aspects to this justification thing. And I took the the leaders on Tuesday night, I took them through a little bit of this and, and then I added onto it and expanded onto it for, for tonight. And so it's something that I, I hope I'm going to be able to communicate to you so that you can actually understand what Jesus actually did for us. And so the first one is, we are justified by God's grace. 
Well, Titus 3 verse 7 says, Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because you see, we cannot attain that righteousness. Because grace is unmerited favor. It cannot be earned, but can only be freely given. You cannot earn someone's grace. You cannot earn grace from someone. I can't go to my wife and say, babe, I want to earn your grace. The only way that you get grace is if someone gives it freely to you. When you are gracious to someone else. Who's been gracious to someone this week? Not, not many, but there are guys when you go to the petrol attendant and, and he's being a little bit dishonest by not putting all the fuel in that should be, are you going to get angry or, or like, bro, I know you made a mistake. You know, let's rectify. Let's, let's sort it out. When you get to the till and the lady scans all of your produce and there's like something that goes past without being scanned, how honest are you? Oh, sorry, ma'am, that didn't actually go through. Or you're like, I scored. Yeah, baby. You see, out of grace is something that God did for us. And so we cannot work and get that grace. Grace can only be freely given. And God gave it to us freely by the sacrifice of His Son. Because He was willing to give it to us. Romans 3 verse 24 says, We are justified by this grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is what inclines God to give gifts that are free and undeserved to sinners. On Christmas Day, who gives gifts to their family? So if, for the guys who are here, if you've got a son, or let's, let's make it a husband or a wife, and you have this, the most precious thing to you. Let me think, what can I say? Who's got an example of something that really is very special to you? Okay, a pocket knife. All right? So, so that's, that's a pocket knife. Right. So, so Mr. Menard loves pocket knives. So you know what to get him for his birthday, right? So, so now, I'm just joking, Peter. So a pocket knife. So that's his pocket knife. So, as we know, Keeman recently joined the family, as being part of this family. So, what he does is he asks his father-in-law if he can borrow his pocket knife. And so, he takes the pocket knife, and he, and he works in his car, and he's trying to cut something, and the pocket knife drops in. And what he does is he forgets about the pocket knife, and he drives off down the road. And a couple of kilometers later, he realizes, where's my father-in-law's pocket knife? What did I do with it? And he goes and looks and looks and looks, and he cannot find it. But it happened, this happened the day before Christmas. So they're sitting around the family lunch on Christmas Day, and Peter looks at him, and, and Keeman, he's like, um, can I have my pocket knife? And Keeman's like, um, I don't have your pocket knife because I lost it. 
Do you think that Peter's going to say to him, sorry, bro, I'm not giving you your Christmas gift? Well, I hope he's not. So then he's like, but I bought you your own pocket knife. So he gave him a gift that he actually didn't deserve because he lost his other one. And that's exactly the same with us. We threw away what God gave us through sin, through Adam and Eve, and then God came and He still gave us a gift because He gave it to us freely. Romans 5.15 says, If if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded by many or for many. So it means that through one man, death entered the world. Through Adam. Because he chose to obey, disobey God, he brought death into the world. Because Adam and Eve weren't actually destined to die. They were destined to live with God forever in the garden. But because of sin, because of disobeying God, they caused it all to end up on each one of us. So grace is that quality in God that produces free gifts for guilty sinners in salvation. And that is actually God's character. That's an aspect of God's character, is that willingness to give us a free gift, that willingness to actually give us the grace that we don't deserve. Being gracious when people make mistakes. When you're a young married couple, and I'm going to pick on you guys, and I'm going to pick on you guys, and you guys, because you guys haven't been married for long. The longer you married, the longer you married, the more gracious you become. My wife has a lot of grace for me because it's taken me almost 16 years to get things right. And then I still get things wrong that I was supposed to get right a long time ago because I've forgotten the things that I got right. And so I'm trying to do the things that I've not forgotten, but I'm trying to fix the things that I've forgotten. Okay, that's quite confusing. All right, even for me, that's why I'm still trying not to forget. All right. But the thing is, when you are young and you just married, your grace isn't that long for one another because you get upset. But yet God is incredibly gracious to us. Romans 11 verse 5 and 6 says, At the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you can't work to earn grace. It is free and undeserved. So grace is a quality of God, but yet it's the power of God living in Christian life. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Those two scriptures are a little bit like, they don't really, they contradict each other. 
Because on the one side it says you can't work at it, but on the other side it says because of grace you can do good works. So what God has gone and deposited inside of us through grace, we can now give that grace to others. Because of what is deposited in our hearts. Am I making sense to you guys with me? Okay, cool. I'm really trying to get this in. All right. So 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, God is able. I've read that one, eh? Yes. Okay. So in this scripture, it seems to picture that grace as the power or the influence for obedience. So it gives us the power to be able to obey God. And I said earlier, you can't earn grace, but you can give it. Then, Jesus gave us so much grace... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's not a nice scripture. My grace is sufficient for you. So who's going through a hard time at the moment? Who's struggling with things in your life? So what God is saying is my grace is sufficient for you because He's given it to you. So He's given you a gift to be able to take you through when times are tough. 1 Corinthians 15.10 is by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So if we look at those scriptures, grace is not just a character aspect or a quality of God, but it is the power of God by the Holy Spirit to empower us to action that produces practical outcomes in people's lives. So the grace that was extended to us, God has given us to change those around us. It helps us to become more like Christ. It is the lens that helps us to see things differently. Grace changes how we see people. Because we can be harsh to one another. Nolan and I, we can be harsh to one another. If we didn't know each other in church, I don't think we would actually even have known each other. I could have walked past him in the shops, in the mall, and I could have maybe like accidentally bumped him or something and be like, hey, bro, watch it, man. But now, because we're in church, because of what Christ did with us and in us, him and I can sit around a table and Nolan can say, Yaku, I see this in your life. I want you to work on it. And it's Aina. There's a regular basis where we sit around the table with people, and I'm getting to that topic next week, where we sit around the table and we actually ask us, what do you see in my life? And in this week, I actually did it. There's a couple of guys sitting here that I've actually sent messages to, and I've asked them, what do you see in my life that I can do better? 
What is a blind spot in my life that I don't see? But because of the grace that God has put in us, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I can ask us to build into my life. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, And in doing so, we will be able to treat others better than they deserve. It is taking what we have been given and extending it to others. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The the throne of grace. Coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. We have this incredible privilege that every day we can go to the Lord, we can go before Him. If we've done and we've hurt someone and we said something that that we didn't mean, we can go before Him and we can go and bend down before Him on our knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. True repentance is saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm going to try and not do it again. It doesn't mean like, oh, I'm sorry, so I'll just do it again. But actually, we've got grace because we can approach God at any time. The second aspect is we are justified by Jesus' blood. Romans 5 verse 9 says, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. One of the devastating results of sin entering the world is relational strife. Evidenced by hatred and even violence towards one another. Very famous story in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. Who knows the story about Cain and Abel? So Cain and Abel, Cain's the guy, he works in the fields. Abel is the oak that looks after sheep and goats. And so what they do is they decide to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. So Cain comes and gives the Lord a couple of vegetables. And Abel comes and he brings some of the fat and the meat of his sheep and his goats. And so which one do you think God accepts? The sheep, the meat, because God likes bry, right? Okay, so he accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain. And so Cain gets upset with this thing because he doesn't like it. And so he goes into the field the next day, and he actually kills his brother Abel. So do you know that Cain was the firstborn child to ever live? And he was also the first murderer. Because he went and he killed his own brother. And so why do you think God rejected Cain's offering? Anybody got examples? Anyone know? That's exactly the answer. You were close. It was good. But it was done. It wasn't the right attitude of the heart. It was a heart thing. And so there's two New Testament scriptures that add light to this. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And that's Hebrews 11.4. 4. 
By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. And 1 John 3, 11 and 12 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Because it was about the condition of their heart. Cain did it just because he did and because it was the right thing to do. Abel came because he loved God. And so that blood calls out to condemnation and to death. But then in Hebrews 12, verse 24, it says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood was spilt for us. Abel's blood was spilt as well. But Abel's blood condemned, condemned Cain. But Jesus' blood came to set us free. You guys with me still? So both Jesus and Abel were innocent and killed by sinful and hateful men. But their spilled blood speaks different languages, different messages. The blood of Abel condemned Cain. The blood of Jesus justifies us. The blood of Abel spoke against Cain. The blood of Christ speaks for us. The blood of Abel cries out for Cain's condemnation. The blood of Christ cries out for our forgiveness. So we are justified by the blood of Jesus because he cries, his blood cries out for our forgiveness. Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. The third aspect of justification is this. We are justified by faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. In Romans 3 verse 28, it is our trust in the person and the work of Christ on our behalf that we can be justified. And then I put a scripture in, in Hebrews 11 verse 1 out of the message, and it says this, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we cannot see. It's an incredible scripture. Faith to believe. It builds, it's everything that we build our faith on. Murray, I want you to come for me here, please, quickly. Belia, I want you to come here. Caitlin, come here. Want you to stand there for me, please? I want you to stand in front of him, looking towards me. I want you to stand behind her, like this. Okay? Right? So, and a bit forward. What you're going to do is you are gently going to push Velia over. Okay? She can't see what's going to happen behind her. So you have to trust him. That he's going to catch you. 
You dressed him. I'm happy that I tried. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an illustration of faith. Okay? This is an illustration of faith. Really, I cannot see where Murray is. No, look forward. So when Caitlin's going to push her over, she needs to trust Murray that he's going to catch her. Right? Open your arms a little bit. Like that's fine. All right, Caitlin, you ready? One, two, three. So that is actually what faith is. It's trusting in God and trusting in someone that you cannot see. That is what faith is. Each of us sitting here tonight, believing in Jesus Christ is an act of faith. So our justification is actually done by faith, and that's the only thing that we can do, is actually believing that Jesus did it for us. Every single thing he has ever or will ever say is true. The simplicity of faith is this, taking God's word for it. I'll read it again. Every single thing he has ever and will ever say is true. The simplicity of faith is this, taking God's word for it. And that was from Jackie Hill Perry. We need to take God at his word, believing him that he's actually done it for us. And the three parts of justification is this. Grace, it's God's part, and it's the foundation of justification. Blood is Christ's part, and it's the means of justification. And faith is our part, and it's the how of justification. It's how. How how do we believe this? By faith. Now we move on to the second one. And I'm almost done. Sanctification. So you guys with me on justification. You understand it. So what's justification? Okay, that's cool. Right, so justification is Jesus that died for you, that died for me, and took away our sin so the devil can stand and jump up and down as much as he likes. We've been forgiven. Now sanctification is actually the outworking of our Christian life. And Andrew Murray said this, not only safe in Christ, that is when you get saved, but holy in Christ, must the goal of every young person be. Safely, safety and salvation are in the long run found only in holiness. The Christian who thinks that his salvation consists merely in safety and not in holiness, will find himself deceived. Young Christian, listen to the word of God. Be holy. And Jonathan Edwards said this, He that diligently observed the life of Christ in the New Testament need not be at a loss to know what holiness is. Christ commands us to follow his example. Have you ever read the four Gospels? And did you not observe in the life of Christ wonderful instances of humility, love to God, love to religion, wonderful instances of zeal for God's glory, steadfastness in resisting temptations? 
entire trust and, and resilience on God, reliance on God, strict adherence to all His commandments, astonishing instances of condescension, whatever that word is, humility, meekness, lowliness, love to men, love to the enemies, charity and patience. Why? This is holiness. When we imitate Christ in these things, then are we holy? No, not till then. That was a lot of old English there <laughs> for an Afrikaans boy. So what he actually just meant to say is that we're not holy yet, but we're trying to get there. And sanctification is actually living out this journey and saying to become more like Christ. So sanctification is actually a doing word. It is the act of living out the Christian life. In James 2 verse 14 to 26, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, wish, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish men, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So the book of James says that justification, faith in the Lord is there, but sanctification is actually living it out. And how do we live it out? How do we live out the Christian walk? Number one, repent daily. Repent daily. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Go to people that you've offended, people that you've hurt, people that you have mistreated or in any way and say to them, guys, I'm sorry. Repent quickly. Forgive quickly. When people have hurt you, forgive quickly. Husbands and wives, forgive quickly. Friends, forgive quickly. Third thing, love extravagantly. Love without limit. 
Love those that are unlovable. Love your neighbor. Because the Bible says, for this they will know that you are my, my disciples by your love for one another. Number four, give generously. Give. Don't have your hand closed. Give. Because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that means coming down to tithes and being faithful with your tithes. And sometimes you look at your budget and giving tithes hurts. But giving into our pantry fund should be on top of that. Because there's others that are struggling, others that are needy, that needs that, that you actually give. And you know what? When you give, there is a blessing that God gives back to you. Number five, stay low. Always be humble. Always be quick to go back and say, okay, Lord. Always be humble. And the sixth one is aim high. Seek Him daily. Seek Jesus daily. I want to finish with three quotes that I want to read to you. This one says, Sanctification grows out of faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, holiness is a flower, not a root. It is not sanctification that saves, but salvation that, that satisfies or sanctifies. So sanctification is not the root of it all. Justification is the root. Because through Jesus, sanctification becomes the flower by living out the Christian walk. The second one is, sanctification is the real change in man from the sordidness of sin to the purity of God's image. And the last one is this. Regeneration is the fountain. Sanctification is the river. Just like Jesus comes and justifies us and sets us free, what is done in here will overflow to everyone around you. So we need to understand that Jesus paid a price for us, that it was given to us by grace. A free gift. How do we live it out? Sanctification is a daily journey. You're not going to get it right overnight. Heman's going to be nasty to Nikita. It's not a prophecy. It's reality. It's life. Nikita is going to get miff at him. But when they get through the first fight, have you guys had a fight since you've been married? Not yet. It is coming. All right? And 10 to 1, Keeman will have to say sorry. Just how it works. Because you see, we're not going to get it right from day one. Because we're not perfect. But Jesus is. And because he's perfect and because of the price that he paid for us, we can actually live the Christian life. So next week, we're going to jump into another topic called accountability. What does that look like? Why do we do accountability? 
because we want to be more like Christ. We want to be disciples. We want to be people that learn and grow in the things that God has deposited in our hearts so that we can help others along the journey of life. Let's close our eyes. So we still have to do communion. So as I pray, and I've finished praying, I just want to ask, can someone come play the piano for us, please? And as we, as we go over to this communion table now, as I spoke tonight about justification and sanctification, this is justification. Jesus dying for you and for me. For Philip, he saw Jesus in this time period when he was lying in that hospital. Not physically, but he was seeing Jesus through people around him. Men and women that came to make sure that they were okay. That he was okay. Because that is sanctification. The body of Christ living out what Jesus did for us. And so as we partake of this tonight, if you need to forgive, you need to forgive quickly. If you carry an offense in your heart against anyone, go and repent quickly. Ask for forgiveness quickly. So we can live the life that God's called us to live. And so Father, tonight as we As we come before you, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that your body was broken for us. Lord, that you died that incredible, painful death. The humiliation, the rejection, all of that stuff, Lord, you went through it so that we can be called your sons and daughters. And Father, we thank you for your free grace, your free gift of grace. And Lord, we thank you for your blood that has washed away all of our sins. Lord, all of our imperfections. Lord, so that we can be a bride without spot or blemish. And Father, we pray that tonight you will change us, that we would never, ever be the same. And we love you for that, King Jesus. And Father, I pray for each and every person, Lord, that is going out of this meeting tonight. Father, I pray that they would have an incredible week. Lord, that you would come and that you would work in us. Lord, that you would keep on challenging us. Lord, keep changing us. Lord, that you would carry on chipping off, Lord, the pieces that needs to be broken off so that we can look like you every single day. And Lord, as we, as we work out sanctification, Lord, as we know that faith and works go together, Father, we pray, Lord, that if you've given us good works to do, Father, let us use the grace that you've given us so that we can be gracious to others and love those around us because you are good and you are wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.